0: All right, grab a seat. Welcome back to church. How many of you have enjoyed this beautiful weekend? Yes? Not at all? You'd rather have rain? Okay, it's been nice, hasn't it? We're going to talk about uh, love today. Everybody say love. In February, every year we celebrate what holiday? Valentine's Day. That's correct. How many of you know that that's like the holiday where we discover that Americans have no idea what it means to love? (laughs) Right? Love is celebrated in such odd ways. Um, The word in general is so misunderstood. The word in general is so misused, it has to be one of the biggest fallacies of the human language. This word love and the way that it's used. Uh, we don't know what it is. We don't know where it comes from. We don't know where it's going. We, um, I'll, I'll just tell you, 12 years ago, I didn't know a lot about love. And I had a girl on my mind and on my heart. Her name was Shannon, now Burris. Thank, thank goodness, glory to God. But I knew she was leaving college in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I knew she was going to be on a missions trip to Zambia for roughly a month. I knew that she was going to come home for several weeks at the end of the summer, and I knew I had a very small window to convince her that I was worth spending the rest of her life with, okay, before she went back to Tulsa. So I bought a couple journals for her, and I took them to her home the day she got back from her missions trip. I came unannounced. Her father met me at the door. I said, hello. I'm here to see Shannon. I have something for her. She's a friend of mine. Would you mind if I uh, said hi to her? He said, she's in the shower. He said, would you like to wait around? I said, sure. So I sat outside and talked with her dad She's in the inside talking with her mother. Why is he here? Why did he come unannounced? Why doesn't he go away? Okay, there I stood. Journals in hand. Waiting. Didn't have a clue what I was doing. She actually had a boyfriend. Who, lucky for me, stayed in Tulsa for the summer. So... Either I was a guy with a plan or I was a stalker or I was a stalker with a plan. Okay? As wonderful as our love story has been pretty much ever since, um, I will tell you that God's love is pure still. His love is more amazing still. His love is faultless. His love is without error. His love is beautiful and immaculate and clean and has the most noble of, of motivations. He loves us. And so I don't know how skewed your view is of the word this morning, but I just want to bring you some measure of comfort that no matter your past With love, no matter your current experience with love, the Father loves you in a way that you have never experienced or even thought about. And it's a beautiful thing. God's love is more powerful than any love you've experienced. His love is more enduring than any love you've experienced. His love costs him more than any love you've experienced. His love sacrifices self in a way that no love you've ever experienced does. God's love captivates us. It frees us. It transforms us. It's when we experience the love of God that we realize, frankly, love and life falls short. It falls short of our expectations in contrast to the love of God. It doesn't meet our needs when compared to the love of God. So I want you to know as we jump into the Bible today that while your love for others may oftentimes be selfish, God's love isn't. Your love for others, while it benefits you, God's love doesn't it is uniquely different and and more impressive than any love that any human has the compa- uh, has a capacity to exert to give and so because god's love is indescribable god knows human beings need some kind of language that they can grasp when it comes to his love so you know what he does in the bible the the bible is replete with God trying to put love in human terms so we can understand it. Because his love, we, we cannot fully wrap our minds around. He has to dumb it down for us. He says things that we can emotionally relate to. For example, we read that God loves his people like, like, there's a simile, like a husband loves a wife we all know that's far from a perfect analogy, right? We all know marriage is difficult. We all know the illustration breaks down, like right away. Like we can think of more ways that marriage is not like the love of God for humanity than we can uh, in all likelihood. Why it's like the love of, of God for humanity. But just entertain the Bible for a moment. Understand what God's trying to do. His intent is to be helpful. He's saying, so when you picture a couple young in love, when you picture the guy washing her car, when you picture him shop vac in hand, new car sent, when you see all that, that's what my love's like for my kids. It's self-sacrificing. When you see an elderly couple sitting on a park bench, gazing into one another's eyes, holding hands, wrinkled hands, that's kind of, as best as I can put it, what the love of God is like. The Bible also says that God's love for his, child, or his children is like that of a father with his children. Um, another attempt to explain the, the, the love of God. So next time you see a young dad beaming, holding his kid for the first time, and, and there's just something about the way he's adoring that son or daughter, might your mind jump to this is kind of like, sort of like, the best way we can picture the father's love. This is how much he treasures us. This is how much he is enthralled with us. God's love is kind of like that, a cherishing love, an adoring love. When you see a dad protecting his toddler, holding him or her by the hand, helping them navigate through the world safely. Remember, that's, that's like the way the f- father loves his, his kids. When you see a little girl, piggy-tailed, and piggybacking on dad's shoulders and laughing with glee and smiling ear to ear and not having any stressor in that moment. It's kind of like the love of the father toward his, his kids. The Bible is ultimately among a plethora of other topics about the love of God. That's what it's about. Far more than it references our love, humanity's love for one another, it references the Father in heaven's love for his kids. And we have to remember this. Otherwise, Christianity simply becomes principles to live by rather than a person to live for. Christianity is not as much about principles to live by, not near as much as it is a person to live for. Amen? That's what the faith is. We're talking about a real relationship with God. In Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, Jesus, who's teaching at this point, says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That is the great and first commandment. And in this, he's, he's uh, referring to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Now, just think about those words for, for a moment. What does he say? Love the Lord. Love the Lord. Not yourself, but the Lord with all your heart. How much of it? All of it. People pick on Southerners. I grew up in the South. What do you think my, grandma or my grandmother said? My, my mom now says when they end every phone conversation, I love you with all my heart. And we laugh about that. Well, you know what, Midwesterners? It's biblical. Did you hear me read it? Love the Lord with all your heart. That's the way we're supposed to love God. Not with some of our heart, uh, the the parts of our heart withdrawn, not with some parts um, in opposition to, with all of our heart adoring God. Next, your soul. How much of your soul all of your soul. Jesus is trying to articulate and describe this like full-throated worship of the Father, completely committed, wholehearted. This is when your affection for God just just oozes out of you. Shannon and I spent time uh, Friday night with uh, a couple our age, who's a minister in uh, Port Edwards. And the love of the Father just oozed out out of this couple. I mean, they just had compassion for Native Americans in New Mexico, and they were just doing evangelism from Port Edwards and reaching the lost there and leading people who were Um, What we would in a missionary context overseas call natives, people that um, I guess in this sense, it's more literal. It's natives, Native Americans living on a reservation, learning about Jesus. And that's what they want to do with the rest of their lives, in part, in addition to pastoring. So we were just impressed by this couple. We were encouraged by this couple. We look up to this couple. This is what Jesus wants of us, all of our soul but I think many of you would admit we have things that we don't want on our resume. Areas of our life that are unkempt. We have areas that we don't give over to Jesus. We have areas of our soul that we continue to give in to self, continue to give in to flesh, continue to cave to the pressures around us. And he says, you're to love your God with all your what? Third, your mind. Your mind, this is what you're thinking about. This is whether you're earthly minded or heavenly minded. Um, Paul said, bring every thought captive to Christ. People who do this, they're they're absolutely God-fearing people that commit every thought to Christ. They're unwilling to tolerate anything in their minds drifting toward the unholy. They just won't allow for it. They, their thinking is an act of worship. They keep purity in their thoughts. They don't disagree with the Lord. They don't argue with the Lord. They're constantly trying to please the Lord. And then Jesus continues with these words. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. And the second commandment is like it. You shall love your who? Who? your neighbor as yourself. Who do we think of when we think of neighbor? We think of, for those in my generation, uh, Wilson on home improvement, right? The guy who you can barely see the top of his head above the fence all the time. You can't never see his lips move. Jesus was asked, who is our neighbor? Do you remember what he said? He basically said, I'll paraphrase anybody that you're in community with. Anybody, your friends, your co-workers, your family members, your neighbors, neighbors, those are all your neighbors. So that's who. Anybody in our lives, we're told to love them as ourself. And he quotes Leviticus 19 here. Now, let's define, just to kind of create a paradox, today. If that's biblical love, what is the love that we see out in the world? Well, it's A love that I would hope you would agree is near exclusively self beneficial. It's a love that benefits me. That's what we see in the world. And we experience cultural attitudes like this yes, people should love me. I mean, I'm lovable, I'm lovely even. You're right. People haven't loved me well. Thank you, pastor, for preaching a sermon on love because I never get any. I invited my spouse to come this morning just so he'll or she'll learn how to love me. It's about me, 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 me. And we become me monsters and our thoughts about love, because that 's what society thinks about love it 's all to benefit me, how to serve me, and so our culture does not think love God, love neighbor, our culture thinks love self love self. We even hear people say things like this I just, I just and, and oftentimes it 's sincere, and therapy has entirely gone in this direction. We have more. Uh, of a culture of, that we're addressing with mental health than ever before, ever before. And people say thoughts like this. I need to learn to love who? Myself. I'm having such a hard time loving me, okay? Well, in all likelihood, you don't, right? Because this is what you're talking about. This is what's constantly on your mind. Obviously, you are thinking about you, okay? Now, there is legitimacy in therapy. There's legitimacy in counseling. But might I suggest that as a part of a treatment plan, if you're wrestling with mental health, go to a nursing home and sit down with somebody who's, who has no visitors, who doesn't have a friend, who doesn't have family, just ask the staff, can you point me towards somebody like this? I'd just like to sit with them. Go to Vinnie's and serve a meal on a Monday evening with the Mill Church. Because I think part of this loving ourselves has to be getting away from ourselves. It has to be getting our mind on God and other people. Paul said to the Romans, God poured his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he's, he's given us. It's Paul's way of saying we just have a spring thaw, right? It's so where everything runs from high elevations to lower elevations. Snow melts and water just takes the least path of resistance. So it ends up in creeks and rivers and, and eventually oceans. And so we have a thaw. And, and that is, Paul's saying, what the church ought to look like. It ought to start from the source, from God itself, and through his people reach the world. God's saying, let's reorient this. Jesus is saying, love me, love people. Don't go inward, go outward. And then Jesus concludes with this in Matthew. On these two commandments depend all of the law and prophets. How many of you would say, I'm glad Jesus said this. I'm glad he simplified it. I'm glad he put it in a proverbial nutshell for us because, frankly, 613 Old Testament commands in the first five books would be harder to follow. Can you imagine having 613 Post-its on your fridge? Trying to follow all those commands? And Jesus is saying here, if you just love God and love your neighbor, it takes care of all the rest. It takes care of everything. Some people, uh, to, to repeat an analogy I've used in this book of James, we hear the word, do the word, hear the word, do the word. It's like two pedals on a bike. You can't pedal with the left foot only. You can't pedal with the right foot only. It's the same case with this. We love God. We love people. We love God. We love people. We love God. We love people. With just one foot pedaling, it doesn't work. People that love God without loving people are missing the whole point. They're missing the whole point. I am darn proud of the fact that I was a three-star server at Cracker Barrel when I was in college. I had the stars on my apron. I could carry so many plates of milk gravy, it wasn't even funny. I could carry three tea glasses in one hand, okay? I was a stuff. At Cracker, I hope you know I'm being facetious. If you're visiting, I really didn't think highly of myself. But let me just tell you a common theme among my fellow employees. You know what it was? I hate working on Sundays. Do you know why the wait staff hated working on Sundays? Because church people were the most demanding and they were the least generous patrons of the restaurant. Week after week after week after week. You work Tuesday night, you make $110. You work Sunday all day, you make $65. That's people who know God, who love God, but don't love people. Consequently, if I were to choose which camp I fall into, I'm more prone to pedal with the right foot. Oh, you need counseling? I'll be there for you. Oh, you need a new couch? I'll find one for you. Oh, you just had a baby? We'll get some meals to you. Meanwhile, neglecting the good, faithful, ancient practice of being alone with Jesus, gleaning from Jesus, learning from Jesus, adoring Jesus by myself at the coffee table every day gets neglected. You cannot do one or the other. It's love God Love people. Love God. Love people. Amen? All right. So, we're going to introduce the thought in the book of James from chapter 2. If you're just visiting James, he's the younger brother of Jesus Christ. He's the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. So Jesus has by now died for the sins of humanity. He's resurrected from death. He has ascended back into heaven, and those that he ministered to and with are now kind of taking charge, and they're starting churches. They're pastoring. They're loving on God and and people. Um, and James is one of those pastors. He writes a book by that name, and he is dealing with some people that have since become religious and have lost touch with the heart of the Father. And so in verse 8, he says this, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well then. So Jesus and James grew up together Likely uh, in the same bunk bed they slept. They probably shared the same fishing pole. Um, They were brothers. They did things that brothers do. They likely gave noogies and swirlies and anything and everything else you could imagine that little boys do. This was James and Jesus among his other brothers and sisters. And so James is saying... Along with others who are filled with the Holy Spirit and are successors to Jesus' ministry, hey, we heard Jesus talk about this. Okay? Um, We want to remind you that one of the things that he reminded us of out of the Old Testament was that um, we're to love God and we're to love people. And you've forgotten that. Please pay attention religious people, you can go to church, you can, you know, um, does going to a hen house make you a chicken? Does going to a parking garage make you a car? Does going to Pizza Hut make you a large supreme with stuffed crust? Like, no, it doesn't, right? You can go to all those places and not know and love God. And he's saying to the people in his church, you can go to church faithfully and not be a Christ follower, not be a Christian, not have a regenerated heart. And he says three things about love, and this is where we'll spend the rest of of our time. He says in verse 8, basically, he speaks of love in regard to the scripture. He speaks to love in regard to selflessness. And he speaks to love regarding sacrifice. And we'll look at those in succession. He says, first of all, love is understood best according to the scriptures. In other words, there is no understanding of love apart from the love of God as revealed through the scriptures that is complete, that is entirely truthful. Um, In other words, the culture, the world does not understand love. It just doesn't. And to understand it, we have to start with the word, okay? Why is this an important starting place? Again, everybody in culture thinks they're autonomous. I am self-governing. I am looking internally. I say things like, look, I'm an individual. Look, I'm independent. Look, I know how I want to live. What I want is important. I'm going to follow what I want. I'm going to sniff after what I want. What I need is important. What I feel, it's important. So what do I need today? Okay, that's what I'm going to do. The Bible, to be clear, gives us a completely different worldview. The Bible teaches we are not autonomous. Autonomous. We are not self-governing. We are not independent. We are not self-promoting. We are not sovereign. We are not the CEO, boss, one in charge. The Bible teaches our loving father, he's the Lord. He's the one who's over it all. Jesus is king. There is no court of appeals. There is no due process. There is no way to argue his sovereignty. He's the Lord. And, and by the way, it's in our absolute best interest. He's the king. I am not. And because I trust him, this is the key. Because I trust Him, He's a good Father. He sent the Son to save me of my sins, to prepare a home in heaven that's going to last much longer than any disappointment in this life. Because I trust Him, I delight. I delight in living under His rule. I delight in doing what He says. I find my joy in being obedient to the Father and according to His Word. So James says it's about the scriptures. That's how we find love. Secondly, he says, James, uh, he's teaching us love is selfless. He says, you shall love your neighbor. And again, who do we think of as the recipient when we talk about love? Generally, we, the people, us, ourselves. That's who we talk about, okay? He's saying, no, It's, it's you've got to be others centered in your life. We think they've stopped loving me. They've stopped betraying me. We don't tend to think of all the ways that we have been unloving. We don't tend to think about the ways that we have neglected others. Some people crave love for themselves as much as an alcoholic craves a drink, a drug addict craves a hit. And through James, God is doing something incredibly loving here. He's reminding us, neighbor, 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 neighbor. It's about your neighbor. That's what life is about. It's about God. And then it's about your neighbor. Other people living on earth. Other people having a hard time. Other people feeling lonely and hurting. God wants you to have his heart for others. And in Jesus' day, again, they came and said, who's our neighbor? And he sits down and says, everybody. Am I saying that you should hate yourself? Absolutely not. I'm saying you should deny yourself. The Bible, this is what I'm saying. The Bible assumes a love for self. The Bible doesn't even go there because the Bible understands and knows that we're going to love ourselves. The Bible assumes that we will not, unless we're told and instructed, love others well. That's what the Bible assumes. Third, James speaks of God's love along the lines of sacrifice. Scripture, selflessness, and sacrifice. Think about this question. What have you done for yourself recently? How have you pampered you? How have you treated yourself to something? How have you encouraged yourself? How have you provided for yourself? The Bible gets really practical here and it says, do for others as you do for yourself. You feed yourself, feed somebody else. You clothe yourself, clothe somebody else. You pray for yourself, you request Prayer for yourself spend some time praying for others it doesn't say hate yourself it doesn't say destroy yourself it simply adds other people to the list of people that get treated the way that you treat yourself anybody feeling convicted this morning Me too. Me too. Don't assume that because I'm the one up here talking that God's word doesn't speak directly to my soul. Oftentimes while I'm sharing on things that God needs to do in me, through me, we're all in this boat together. James is dealing with, again, a bunch of religious people who've been in church for a long time. They know the Old Testament. They grew up reading all this. They'd memorized it. They know a lot. And they're not doing jack. Let me say that again. They know a lot. But they're not doing anything. They've studied to pass a test. They haven't studied to live differently. That was me in college. I would study to pass a test. I'd ace it. But if you asked me to take the same test the following week, I'd fail it. In large part because I'd wake up at 3 a.m. to study for an 8 a.m. class test. He's saying, live for transformation. And in conclusion, I just want to, mention these words in verse eight that we've read royal law. Normally don't we don't spend a, a sermon on one verse. <laughs> this golden rule is kind of important. Would you agree? <laughs> it's kind of a big deal. Jesus says all the law and the prophets hang on these like it's kinda of like okay that's kind of it's kind of valuable. So this is what he says, or what what James says. He refers to the royal law. Here's what's amazing about Jesus. Jesus, the king, gets off the throne in heaven, comes down to earth as a man, and he lives under his own law. He lives, he's the king, but he lives under his own law. Do you know how many kings in this day lived under their own laws? None of them. They all thought they were above their own laws. Nobody, no king obeyed his own laws. It was for the people beneath him. How many of you parents live by your own laws? Like, hello? This week, Levi asked me, asked his mom, Mom, why does dad get to eat potato chips whenever he wants? It's a great question, Right? It's a great question. Why is dad living above his own law? Some people say people should be generous. Well, does your tip reflect your words that people ought to be generous? Does your checkbook reflect your thoughts about your generosity? Pastor, people should love one another. Well let's bring in those that you have hurt, grieved, frustrated. Let's have them testify and see how they feel about you living up to your words. See so a pastor, that's personal. No, that's hypocritical. What's your point? My point is that Jesus made laws and he lived under them. Ought we not also? Ought we not allow him to be the authority? Love the Lord with all your your heart. Check, Jesus could say. Love the Father with all your soul. Check. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. Check. Jesus, he's perfect. He's sinless. So he's an authority for us to listen to. So one of the things... One of the ways we know that we're a Christian is if the desires of our heart change, if they morph. I just had a lady tell me before the first service this morning, I no longer go to that establishment because it's, it's such a raucous crowd now, she, she understands evangelism. She understands sometimes we go into bars, strip clubs, all that to win the loss for Jesus. But she's just saying, I don't desire that anymore. It's not something I want. See, when, when you love the Lord, your affections shift and change. I want to I li- live, she was saying, under the rule of Jesus from this point forward. And then as the royal law starts to be fulfilled through God's church, that's when we start loving others. It shows up in intensely practical ways. It shows up in philanthropy. It shows up in service. It shows up in in leaf raking. It shows up in hospitality. It shows up in commitment and friendship and patience and endurance it shows up in repairing someone's automobile and donating the labor. It shows up in all kinds of beautiful ways. Why? Because that's what our king's like. It's what Jesus is like. And we want to be like him because we belong to him. Amen? Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would help us love you and love our neighbor. Love you and love our neighbor. Lord, I pray for anyone here that's dealing with, in all likelihood, privately, mental health issues. Lord, I know it is complex. I know it is not as simple as as visiting a soup kitchen But I pray, Lord, I pray that you would, as a part of their treatment plan, encourage them, Holy Spirit, to do something to get the mind onto you and other people. To get the mind off of self. Lord, that you would heal, that you would mend, that you would restore. In Jesus' name. Lord, help our church continue to give sacrificially through the end of this two-year giving initiative. I pray, Lord, that we'd see a building, we'd see ground being moved, we'd see excavators, bulldozers on that parcel, in this time next year, in the name of Jesus, we trust you for that, Lord. We thank you for your presence, your provision. We're excited. You are excitable, We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.